Hello and welcome to The Rewriters, a celebration of people who have shirked convention, expectation and even their own limitation to rewrite their story on their terms. Each episode will dig into the inspired and very real life stories of people who have done just that, rewritten their story. I'm a nosy practical optimist too, so expect all of the nitty gritty details. If you're an ambitious seeker craving a different kind of lifestyle, career or business, but have felt held back by your own or other people's beliefs about what's possible or permissible, The Rewriters is for you. Hello and welcome to this episode of The Rewriters. I'm your host, coach, brand consultant, writer and resident career rewriter, Monique Shaw. The rewriter we're featuring in today's episode is the tech entrepreneur, founder and CEO of Pep Talk Her, Meggie Palmer. Meggie started out her career in journalism, working as a foreign correspondent and for publications and media outlets, including BBC World, CNBC, Sky and Vogue. She went on to found her own media training agency before eventually making the move into an entirely new industry, tech, where she is on a mission to close the gender pay gap. She is a guest lecturer at Columbia University, speaks globally on topics like imposter syndrome, and works with brands including JP Morgan, Westpac, and Revlon to help them create more inclusive workplaces. During the episode, Meggie shares how Pep Talk Her came to be and why she believes that everyone has that one idea that could become their thing. We discuss the importance of community, having a go, and knowing your worth when it comes to career and business, and why you should ask for a discount on your grapes the next time you go to the supermarket. The grapes thing will make sense when you listen to the episode. I absolutely loved speaking with Meggie, and she is someone who is so refreshingly herself. She radiates self-acceptance and self-kindness, and is inspiringly unapologetic about being a tech entrepreneur who actually knows very little about tech, and still has to ask her brother to help fix her laptop when it breaks. Check out the show notes for details on how you can download the Pep Talk Her app for free, as well as how you can get involved in Pep Talk Her's upcoming challenge. I'll also share details on how you can work with me directly on your next career rewrite. As always, don't forget to rate, review, subscribe, share it with your mates, share it on social, hashtag the rewriters pop. And finally, happy International Women's Day for the 8th of March. Bye for now. Hi, Maggie. Welcome to the show. Thanks, Monique. Stoked to be here. Fantastic. So you are absolutely what I would describe as a rewriter, someone who has rewritten (laughs) their story. And you've done that a couple of times as well in a couple of different ways throughout your career. And I'm really keen to share what we can learn from what you've learned about how you did that. You know, you've moved from employment to self-employment and you've also moved across industries as well. But before we launch into that, I'd really love you to share a little bit about your story to date. How did you get to where you are now? Oh, wow. Great question. And I love the premise of rewriting uh, your story. And I think that it's something that's underrated. And I think that more people should talk about it because, you know, I think sometimes you get stuck in this idea that, you know, you've made one decision or you've chosen a career path and that's it for life. But as a lot of people will tell you, there's a lot of rewriting that goes on uh, intentional or, or otherwise. So um, really excited to chat to you today. So yeah, look, I, um, I'm, I'm, an, I'm an Aussie. I uh, grew up on the Gold Coast and on a farm west of the Goldie. Hello to any Queenslanders listening. And, you know, these days I live in New York City. So it's been quite the journey and it's been good fun. So yeah, I um, didn't know what I wanted to do in high school. No idea. Thought maybe I'd be a dentist. One of my teachers talked me out of that, which is probably for the best. And then just kind of randomly 
decided I liked English and I liked people. So maybe I'd study business and tack on a bit of journalism for a bit of fun. And so that's what I did. There was not a heap of thought behind it really, because how many 17 year olds know what they want to do with the rest of their life. So away I went to the big smoke an hour down the road to Brisbane and started studying and long story short, but ended up working as a journalist full time before I graduated and was fortunate that I had a boss who let me continue my studies a couple of hours a week while still working, which was awesome. And then, yeah, became a journalist in Australia, ended up working for the BBC World in London a couple of years later and eventually came back to Australia and worked as a correspondent for a couple of programs here and threw in the towel and ended up founding my own business. Um, so, I mean, we could we could talk for hours about some of the boring mistakes I've made along the way. But <laughs> One of the things that you said there that I think is so important and that so many people get hung up on or stuck in is this idea that they've, they've made this decision and they're just going to have to stick on that track. They've invested lots right. of years into their career and they've right. maybe they've climbed the corporate ladder. So I love how you talk about not being set for life. I mean, what did you invested a lot in your career as a foreign correspondent and a journalist? How mm. did you take that leap from from that to running your own media training agency? Yeah, well, I just, you know, I think that it's funny. I think that everything that you learn is like a building block, do you mm. know, to get you where you need to go. So, yeah, so now I mean, these days I run a company called Pep Talk Her, which is a, a tech company focused on, on the gender pay gap and women in leadership. And, you know, I've never studied a day of coding in my life. Like I'm, I'm, I was that annoying person who was terrible at computer studies at school and my brother always has to fix my computer for me even today and ostensibly I'm running a tech company so there you go but the thing is the good news is I bring something else to the table and I can hire great people who who know how to do the other stuff that I don't so yeah when I was a journalist um, I think it's interesting when you're in a career you often you you don't realize what you know because you're so close to what you're doing every day you don't think it's that good and you don't think it's that exciting and you don't think it's that valuable like I got into journalism because I wanted to make an impact and tell stories that weren't being told and shine a light, you know, on, on injustice. So I loved that part of my job, but I just didn't really think that that had applications outside of a news bulletin or a newspaper. I was like, well, you know, what else can journalists do? But the reality is, is that journalists are great communicators. Mm. We know how to distill a story very quickly. We know how to absorb a lot of information quickly and truncate that into something that's digestible and understandable by a member of the public. We know how to find people. We know how to connect with people, build relationships. We understand storytelling. You know, I worked in television, so I understand film, aesthetic, the creative that goes into crafting an hour-long documentary, you know, building teams, finding the right crew, all of these sorts of skills. And so basically what happened was one day a PR agency was like, hey, can you come and help us with some media training? And I was like, um, okay, <laughs> didn't really know what that was. Did a bit of Googling, figured it out and just kind of went from there. I was like, oh my goodness, people pay journalists to tell them what they do every day this is something that's of interest to companies I didn't even really know and so it was like one door opened and I walked through it and realized I could make a little bit of extra cash on the side and so did a lot more googling and a lot more speaking to people and understanding what companies needed and started a side hustle media training company on the side and so that was kind of interesting because I, I learned how to start a business. You know, I made a heap of mistakes, did some things well. I did a lot of things badly. I learned how to make an invoice and, you know, saw the bank balance start to grow. And that was a bit exciting. And I think, honestly, that's probably one of the most important things because I learned at that point that I had value outside of, you know, 
a nine to five career. And I think that that's a very important thing. And, you know, my sister, for example, she was importing jewelry from China and selling it at the markets when she was about 14. So she obviously realized very early that she had skills that could make her money. I didn't realize that until I was about 24, 25. So I would say to any of your listeners, like wherever you are in your career, it's not too late to realize that value. And I think that that concept of knowing your worth is so important because it gives you confidence. And when you have the confidence that you can make money in more than one way, for me, that was quite liberating. Liberating. It gave me the confidence and eventually the freedom to, to walk away from journalism, further develop the media training company, which then funded the company that I now work on full-time, Pep Talker, which, as, as I said earlier, is focused on the gender pay gap and helping women level up their careers, you know, and supercharge their success financially. So, you know, I think teachers, for example, can make money on the side tutoring or if you're a food scientist, you can probably make some money consulting to, to startups, you know, who are, who are trying to launch new food products. Like there's always a way to, to make money on the side. And I, I really think that that's such an important thing and it's never too late. I'm trying to convince my mum. She's a grandmother of two very cute nephews with another one on the way. And I'm trying to convince her to start an <laughs> online business because I'm like, mom, it's so great. You're an amazing grandma. You could do an online course and teach other grandparents how to like, you know, do quality activities with their grandkids and teach them skills at the same time. So I just see so much opportunity and I'm really excited. It's never been easier to start a business. You know, it's, it's awesome. So is that something that is innate in you because when I think about people having that courage to you know follow an opportunity have a quick google see what's involved and go for it and kind of take you know put one foot in front of the other or Mm. to to go from you know having your brother fix your computer to being a tech entrepreneur (laughs) and founder (laughs) you know that takes a lot of courage to to do that is that something that is innate in you is it something that you learn and when you talk about knowing your worth how can people learn to know their worth how do we sort of build up that muscle yeah and it is a muscle isn't it and and I think to your first point I think I think they're linked I guess was I raised with a level of resilience and courage maybe but do I think you can learn it absolutely you know there's women that I know women and men I know who are running amazingly successful businesses I've got one of my friends is now running a nine-figure business would you believe it like it's (laughs) unbelievable and honestly you know, she has no formal quote unquote training and she's absolutely dominating the business world, you know, like a hundred million plus business that she's bootstrapped and running on her own. So, you know, I, I know people who have started businesses from nothing with no training, who really had no idea what they were doing and they figured it out along the way. Mm. So I think if you surround yourself with people who can help you put one foot in front of another, that makes that courageous first step and the next step and the next step a lot easier, right? Because you have people that will shepherd you in the right direction. So I think, sure, it takes a level of courage, but that's why I would say, like, don't think that you've got this great idea and then quit your full-time secure job uh, only to realize it's a disaster and it fails, right? Like start something on the side, like spend an hour on the weekend, you know, having a look around or spend three hours a week working on your side hustle. You can do it gradually and there's nothing wrong with that because it will help you test and figure it out. 
And then that way you can, you can choose to do what I did, which was build it up to the point where you knew that you'd be fine and you could almost replace your salary or you could certainly get by, or you might decide to go out and get funding and, and, you know, do it in a, in a really big way. It's up to you, but I would suggest just like baby steps to start with is helpful. And I think, again, I do think it comes down to like the community that you surround yourself with. So maybe you have a supportive family and that's great, but maybe you don't. And so maybe you need to go out and find your own community who can help you find that courage and help support you with those words of wisdom and those words of affirmation when you need them. Like I think in the early days of my business, there were a lot of tears, a lot of anxiety attacks and a lot of fear and panic. Um, And I only got through it because of a cohort of women that I stumbled upon through networking events, uh, frankly, through a Facebook group. And then now some of my closest friends and still to this day, we still catch up and, you know, drink a lot of wine and have a lot of laughs. And there's a lot less fear and anxiety these days. And there's a lot more confidence in all of us and a lot more success, but it's taken years, you know, it hasn't, hasn't happened overnight. Like I think, when did I quit journalism? I guess it was like almost five years ago now. And so it takes, it takes time, right? And you hear of these overnight success businesses, but what you don't hear is the three, four, five, seven, 20 years beforehand that went into it to kind of build, again, it's those building blocks, right? Of the successes or failures that then lead you to the direction of, of where you go next. So yes, I think it can be learned. I think if you're not feeling like you're very courageous, I would say read some books, go to some great events or in this COVID world, go to some virtual events and just reach out to people and just start to build a network around you of people who will support you because that will help you take the first step. And then from there, you'll just keep building momentum and going from there. I think so often, particularly women, but I'm sure this um, affects some men as well, but they often feel like they need to have all of the answers, all of the qualifications, the complete Mm -hmm. plan, it all laid out. And if they don't have everything lined up, then they can't start. Mm -hmm. And they, they really, you know, stop themselves from even being able to begin because of their need to get it absolutely right and to undersell what they can do right now. So did mm-hmm. you, how did you build that, that community around you, that, that sort of group of advocates that you could sort of support one another and take those little steps safely? I just started going to events like this was in a pre-COVID world, keep that in mind. But, you know, it's funny. I actually went to an event as a journalist trying to find interesting women for some story ideas that I was doing. It's coincidental. Actually, I've now done the program. It was a, it's a, it's a program called Springboard Enterprises and they take women run businesses and founded businesses and help you accelerate. I've actually just graduated from that program a couple of months ago. So it's funny how things go full circle, but I just went to this as a networking event you know, went along, had a glass of champagne, some canapes, had a chat with a few people. And um, one lady was like, so what's your business idea, Maggie? And I was like, oh, no, no, I'm just a journalist. I'm just here to meet you all and, you know, see if we could do some stories. And she's like, no, no, but you've got an idea, haven't you? And I was like, no, no, I'm just a journalist. Like, I'm just here for the stories. And she's like, I bet you've got an idea. I bet you've got an idea for a business. And I was like, do I have an idea for a business? I don't know. Maybe I do. Maybe I should if I don't. And so it was that question that really, and a very successful female founder, Vanessa Wilson from a company called Store Reduce, she's the one who asked me that. And I've since said to her, I was like, I don't know if you remember this, but you said this to me years ago, like seven years ago. And so I would just say to anyone listening, like, do you have an idea? And if you think, oh, no, 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 that's not for me. I'm not an entrepreneur. I would question you again and say, well, I bet you've got an idea. I bet there's something out there that pisses you off. There's something out there that you think isn't done very well. There's something out there that you love to do. There's something that you do better than anyone else that you know. 
And whatever that thing is, that's that's one idea of what could be your first business, right? And it doesn't have to turn over a million dollars a year. You might make a hundred bucks a week from your business. Like how good's that? You know, so like I would just say to anyone listening, like, like, do you have an idea? Could you deep within you think of something that you might like to do one day and just ruminate on it? Just have a think about it. See who else is out there, who else is doing it. Start to chat to your friends and your family. Like, what do you reckon about this? And then just start to like find those communities of whether it's Facebook groups, whether it's meetup groups, whether it's clubhouse, connecting with like-minded businesses on Instagram, following those founders, sending them a DM, finding people in your space on LinkedIn and reaching out to them. You know, I think that the virtual world that we're in because of COVID-19 is an opportunity. People have more time potentially because they're not traveling. They're not going to and from an office necessarily. So if there was ever a time for a cold reach out email or LinkedIn message, I would say, you know, this is your time. And, you know, you've, you've got to put yourself out there and you've got to get comfortable being uncomfortable, mm. right? And asking for help, asking if you can come along to the meetup, turning up to an event where you know no one, that's really awkward uh, and it kind of sucks. But let me tell you, you've got to keep doing it and doing it and doing it. And to your point earlier, like it, it is like a muscle and the more that you get comfortable being uncomfortable, the easier it gets. And so the more you put yourself out there, the more confident you'll be. And it's just, it just grows and grows from there, but you have to take that first step. I completely agree. I often talk about change and confidence being doing words, they're verbs, they're things that you don't have, they're things that you do. And and the more that that you do, the more that it grows, just as you say. Exactly. And I think, you know, it's funny. I feel like as kids, you know, we have, you know, like little kids, if anyone's got kids or nieces or nephews or friends who've got kids or grandkids, like when they're really little, like they don't have many inhibitions, like, you know, sort of like one to about maybe three, they're very carefree and vibrant. And then something happens. I don't know if it's kindy or a kid at daycare on a playground says something, and then you can see the inhibitions start to sneak in. Right. And it's that feeling that we have from a very, very young age that we have to conform, that we have to fit in. And so you have to sort of unwire a lot of those deeply entrenched habits, right. That we've you know, you might be in an industry where you don't reach out to more senior people, or, you know, you might work in a workplace where no one has a side hustle. So you're having to sort of rewire and unwire, almost unpick a lot of patterns and behaviors that if you've observed for a very long time, they become normal. And so you have to kind of push into a new circle or a new community so that you can create a new normal. And it is a bit, as I say, it is a bit awkward to start with, you know, and just start with a baby step. Like, I'm not saying you should reach out to like Michelle Obama on your first cold email, <laughs> like start, start somewhere where you think you might have some success, you know, like start small and you'll get more confident and more confident from there. And um, yeah, it'll just get easier. And who you surround yourself with makes some of this stuff possible. What's that saying? You're the sort of, you're the equation or the, the quantity of yeah. the, the however many people you surround yourself with. So if you're surrounding yourself with people yeah. who are taking these courageous steps, who are getting messy and trying stuff out yeah. and having a go, you're more inclined to be able to think that that's possible for you too. Yeah, it is. And I wish I had the saying to hand as well, Monique, but it's, I, I think it's something like, yeah, you're the product of the five or seven people you spend the most time with. Yeah. And I think thinking about this concept of rewriting your story, I think something that I've had to get comfortable with, even though I didn't like it to start with, is that 
as I, every time I rewrite my story, I lose people along the way, you know, and those people that I spend the most time with changes sometimes. There's a few core people that haven't changed, but some of the people have changed. And, you know, I found that really challenging. You know, it's almost like you're grieving the loss of a relationship or a friendship, you know, when there's people that don't serve you on your journey anymore. And I found that sometimes, particularly in Australia, there's this concept of the tall poppy syndrome and, you know, people are like, what do you mean you're leaving journalism? Like people can't understand it. And so sometimes they don't always understand the journey that you're going on. And so sometimes those friendships that don't remain as strong as you, you may love them to. Um, and then also when you're starting your own business, I do think some people just don't get it. And in the interest of staying sane as an entrepreneur, you have to, or I did anyway, I had to find the glass half full people and I had to find the people that would believe in me and my vision because it was a little bit wild and it was going to be tough, but I didn't need anyone to tell me, you know, you're crazy. That's never going to work. Like I needed people who would help lift me up and I needed tough love and honesty, but at the same time, some people's energy just wasn't serving me anymore. And so, you know, those people aren't necessarily in my life as much anymore. And that's, that was really sad and, and really hard for me. And that's something that I realized every time I sort of rewrite a different part of my life or my story, that there's always a shedding, but there's all, there's always wonderful gains that come from that, you know? And so I just, in case that um, resonates with anyone, I don't know if you've had that in your journey as well, Monique. Well, I think when, when we create change in our life, which is uncomfortable, it can yeah. be uncomfortable for the people around us who either mm. harbor their own desires to do something similar or mm-hmm. really, really resist any challenge to their status quo. Absolutely. I mean, in the first ever episode that I did of the rewriters, actually, I talked about some of the things that I had been told along my mm-hmm. journey. And one of them was you're so brave. And it wasn't, I didn't feel that it was said in a way that was, wow, I'm really proud of you. It was wow, you're really brave. That is a massive risk. You're making a crazy decision there. So, you know, the voices in the community and the people that are helping you to, you know, take those brave steps and not question yourself, you kind of have to drown them out. And if that means moving away from them or being Mm -hmm. more boundaried or just choosing not to take that stuff on board, it's so important. Yeah, it is important. And I think boundaries are a really good one. And and I think, you know, the other thing that can happen, and I see this in, you know, people that reach out to me or people that I know who start their own business. And it's, I'm sure people looked at me when I was starting out and they were like, oh, she's about to make that mistake, you know, and you sort of, I can see now people who are making mistakes. Like I can see the mistake that's about to happen because I've done it myself or I've seen it happen 10 times before. And I think as well, it's also the boundary of like, letting people like giving advice and being supportive and being positive whilst also having that level of tough love, you know, and, and the saying like, make sure that you've got boundaries around it. Like what is your time frame for being able to pay yourself? Right. Or what is the amount that you're willing to invest in this before it turns a profit? Like having clear outcomes, I think is also really important just so that you sort of have those guardrails because otherwise, you know, it's also not helpful, I don't think, to also just have people saying, you're amazing, you're amazing, you're amazing. And it's like 10 years into your business and you've never made a dollar. Mm. So I think it's that fine line, right, of like being supportive and loving, but also um, that sort of harsh but fair feedback, but at the same time, giving that feedback with love and in a way that doesn't sort of, sort of like put out your light, but that still encourages you to, to find a solution to any roadblocks that may come up. It is, it's, it's, it's really hard, isn't it? Yeah. And it goes back to that thing that you talk about with Pep Talk Her in and a lot of your work, that knowing your worth and knowing your value. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah. So the idea of knowing your worth, it's so interesting. It's, we talk about it a lot at Pep Talker and it's, it's honestly, it's a big part of the reason why we, I started a business and why I left journalism. So basically I had an experience in my career where my, my pain conditions were treated very differently to my male colleagues and the response when I raised it wasn't what I was hoping for. And so I then kind of set out to, to help support others who may have gone through a similar, similar situation. Um, and, and I think, you know, sometimes we work in industries and certainly in journalism, this is the case where you're so blinkered and you're basically, the culture is, the culture is such that you are taught that you actually don't have much worth because that actually serves the interests of the bosses because they have a certain budget. And if you think you're not worth very much, they're not going to pay you very much, which is great because they come in under budget and they actually get a bigger bonus. So it's like this whole, like this, this, um, this cycle that happens. Um, and I realized it wasn't until I was sort of out of it that I realized what was happening. And so I do think it's important for people throughout their career to have people in their industry and also outside of their industry who you talk openly with about money, because I think money is a taboo topic that, we are raised from a very young age not to discuss, particularly if you identify as a woman, often it's, you know, a bit taboo or a bit, you know, inappropriate to discuss money. Whereas I think, um, well, the research shows us that men's experience um, and little boys who grow up, their experience of money is very different. There's been, for example, three studies in three different countries that have shown that little girls uh, get less allowance or less pocket money than little boys. And so the worth that is placed on women and girls, even from a very young age, is different. And so we're sort of fighting against an entrenched system here. But so we have to work, unfortunately, for the meantime, until, until we get to equality, we have to work a little bit harder to train ourselves to know our value and to understand what that worth is, right? And so I always say to people, when you're going through a salary negotiation process, make sure you do your research talk to colleagues and friends, but you have to also talk to a white male because statistically we know that white men are paid more and, and no doubt it's the same in your industry too, right? And so you, you've got to have those conversations with a wide, wide range of people so that you can get a breadth of information and data as which, which, which will help you benchmark where you sit, right, in terms of a dollar value of knowing your worth. So there's, there's the dollar value of knowing your worth and then there's also just that more um, baseline level of confidence, which I know you talk a lot about as well, Monique, of that you, you have to believe in yourself and you have to have that inner self-belief because if you don't have it, it's very hard for anyone else to, to value you where you should be valued. So it has to start with you first. And then a lot of the work we do at Pep Talker is about helping you then quantify that value and then ask for that value in a way that feels genuine and authentic to you, but that is also going to get you the results that you're looking for. Yeah, I could talk about this stuff all day. I, <laughs> I, love, um, I love talking about salary and negotiation and, and understanding your worth and value. I think one of the things that you touched on there that is so important is around this um, openness around talking about mm -hmm. money because there is so mm -hmm. much secrecy, particularly in my corporate career. Nobody mm -hmm. was allowed to talk about what they earned or it was really mm -hmm. frowned upon to talk about how much yeah. they earn. Because if you do, then you're able to shine a light on where the inequity is, who's getting paid more for the Correct. same job Correct. and salaries can be kept, can, can be kept lower, but it is so uncomfortable to talk about this stuff, particularly for mm -hmm. women or people who identify as women who have internalized a lot of that. Well, it's not really appropriate or safe yeah. to ask for more. Right. Totally. I mean, it's, and it's, it comes back to, you know, a lot of this is brain training and it's, it's mental gymnastics and you've got to prepare yourself 
and put yourself in a situation where you are on a regular basis asking for more or going through very low impact, low risk negotiations. And you do that because then when it's a high risk negotiation, like for your salary, for example, or if you're negotiating to buy a house, if you've done little mini negotiations for the last two months or two years leading up to that moment, the anxiety that you have will be a lot less and the confidence that you have will be a lot higher because you practice in low risk situations. So for example, one of the things that I encourage everyone on the call to do, and we actually talk about this in the Know Your Worth five-day challenge, is to go to a supermarket. You can go to a different one that you would normally go to if that would make you feel better. Go to a supermarket where you've never been before or where you're unlikely to go back to. Grab whatever you've got to grab. I like to use the example of a bag of grapes. Go up to the checkout and say, hey, I'd just like to grab these grapes. Is it possible to get a discount? And... (laughs) See what happens. Because what do you reckon is going to happen, Monique, when you ask if you can have a discount on a bag of grapes? Well, they they'll say no, but they could say yes. They could say yes, and they could <laughs> say no. So let's assume let's assume they say no. What happens then? The world doesn't end. Correct. <laughs> you get ten points for the right answer. Right. So the world doesn't end. So you either say no worries, I'll still grab them. Thanks anyway. Or you say, okay, cool, that's all right. It's out of my budget. I'll just pop them back on the shelf. And you walk out of the store, and it doesn't matter. Because are you likely to see these people again? Probably not. Does it matter? Are they going to recognize you? No, no. So it's just like, but what you've told yourself and what you've, what you've started to do from a brain gymnastics perspective is say, it is okay to ask. I can ask politely. They can say no and we can all walk away. And, you know, it was a completely reasonable interaction, mm. you know, um, and I did this. We just, we just ran, we just finished um, our, one of our career level up cohorts and I made them do this exercise. <laughs> so the exercise really, I want you to get a no because I want you to get comfortable being told no because that means that firstly the world doesn't end and that's an opportunity to work out where do we go from here. But actually what happened in this cohort, we had 12 women in the cohort and about four of them were told yes. One of them was at a supermarket and they were like, oh, um, look, I'm not supposed to do this, but I can give you the seniors discount. So there you go. But one of the other women, she actually rang her phone company because it was COVID where she was in Washington, D.C. and she wasn't allowed to leave the house, so she couldn't go to the supermarket. So she was like, I'll just ring my phone provider and do the exercise that Maggie and Pep Talker gave me. So she rang her phone provider and ended up saving herself, I think it was like 200 bucks a year because they said yes. So that's also a wonderful lesson, right? If you don't ask, you don't get. And so, you know, asking companies, particularly big companies where they're used to people asking for a discount, it's great practice Mm. Um, in a low risk environment to ask the question. They might say, yes, you might save a couple of hundred bucks. They might say no, and that's okay too. But again, you're telling yourself that it is okay for you to ask those questions, that that is okay. And that is completely reasonable. So then when you're walking into, as I said earlier, like more higher risk or more stressful situations, You've, you've trained yourself to, to get used to what that feels like. What emotions come up for you? How can you best keep them in check? Uh, and what I always say to people, if you're going into a salary negotiation conversation, you want to practice. And we have some scripts on our website that you can download that will help you practice those conversations with your best friend or your dad or a mentor or your cousin the night before or two weeks before. So you can practice. What does it feel like when your boss says, well, why should I give you this raise? We're in the middle of COVID. No one's getting a raise. What's your response going to be to that question? Like you, you need to prepare these responses and these questions because when you do it in a low risk environment with your best mate or a relative, 
you can stuff up and try it again and try it again and try it again. And then when you're in the real situation with your boss, all of a sudden it's not as stressful because you've already practiced this. You know, you've anticipated the questions and you've got a, a response prepared. So it's okay to ask, but also stop making decisions for other people and stop worrying about what their answer is going to be if it's a yes or if it's a no. Just ask the question. Well, and that's such a good point. I really appreciate that you said that, Monique, because, yeah, like it is not up to you to decide what other people will say. You you know, I I had another woman in the Career Level Up program and she thought that there was no way she was getting a raise because it's COVID and she works for a university. And as we know, they've been severely affected by the downturn with international students and all that kind of stuff. But part of the program she had to ask and she did, and she got a 4% raise. Now, is that 4% raise going to mean she can buy a $3 million house? No, it is not. But is that a couple of thousand bucks a year? Absolutely. Like that's a lot of money, you know, and that 4% means that that's what you're earning for the next few years as well, right? That's how they're calculating your retirement benefits, all those sorts of things. So you have to ask the question. And when she asked, they said to her, listen, we've been so impressed with how you've stepped up during COVID. We really want to acknowledge that and recognize that we don't want to lose you. And so if you don't ask, sometimes you don't give your bosses or people senior in the organization the opportunity to say thank you and to recognize you because, you know, it costs companies tens of thousands of dollars to recruit people, right? So if you leave a business, there is a cost associated with that. And so often, frankly, it's cheaper for them to give you a raise than it is to recruit someone new, you know? So you've got to sort of have all this context in mind when you're having these conversations, because I think often we assume that the employer has all of the power. And of course, you know, they do have power, but you bring value too. And you have power as well, because they want you to feel happy at work. They want you to work really hard and they don't want to lose you most likely. So yeah, you've got to, you've got to walk into these conversations with an open mind and also not seeing it as a fight, right? It's also the way you frame it. Like it's a conversation Mm. and going into it with that mindset, as opposed to, oh my gosh, this is a big, scary negotiation, walking in with the frame of mind of like, cool. This is an opportunity to have a chat with my boss. Um, let's, let's, let's see what the possibilities are. That's a very different way of framing that conversation. And that really impacts the way, you know, what the outcome looks like from there as well. How they perceive you and also how you perceive yourself as well. I want to share an example, actually. I love this idea of the grapes and the going into a supermarket and asking for a discount, because that is something that I really could do with a little bit more practice with. We had a situation in our house about, it was last week or the week before, we ordered a new piece of furniture and it arrived and it had a little, it's a wooden piece of furniture. It had a tiny little dent in it. I think it was a tiny little dent. And I did not want to go through the hassle of returning it for the sake of a little dent that a TV was going to sit on anyway. My husband, who is a white male, and for anybody who is familiar with the English stereotypes, he's from Yorkshire, so likes to save a pound or a pound and a penny. But he felt very entitled to be remunerated for this dent, which I thought was pretty outrageous. And he went about contacting the company and you know, saying, I'm pretty uncomfortable with the fact that this has arrived with a dent. I don't want to refund it. I don't want to return it, but I would like you to do something to make me get rid of this little bitter taste in my mouth. He had the delivery fee refunded, which was 95 pounds and 25% of the um, purchase price refunded to himself. So that was hundreds of pounds 
back in his pocket because he felt entitled to ask Amazing. versus me who wouldn't have yeah. and would be, you know, less, you know, have less cash as a result. Right. And the other thing is as well, like if the company, you know, they also have, they can say no, right. And they could mm-hmm. have said no, you know, and I think, you know, I'm not in, I'm not in the interest, I'm not in the business of wanting to screw anyone over, <laughs> you know? And so I think it's like, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm not going to go to a small market store where I think they're charging a really fair price for their candles and ask for a discount. Like you can do that if you want, but like, I'm not, I'm not necessarily going to do that. Right. But if I'm, you know, similar thing, if something arrives from Amazon to my house, that's damaged, I've got no issue sending it back. Right. And I've got no issue saying, well, I want a refund and this is what I expect. So I think you've got to deal within boundaries that feel right for you, but absolutely. They they can say no to you and that's fine too. Right. And then you decide, okay, what's my, what's my next step. That's up to you. But like, it doesn't, really cost you anything to ask the question if it's done in a reasonable manner and like listen if something is damaged you should be compensated for that right so yeah really interesting point mm, and it can cost you and it probably will cost you not to ask even if you feel uncomfortable about it well and the, the problem becomes when we when we don't ask today we don't ask tomorrow and then we don't ask next month and then we don't ask next year and all of a sudden we've had 10 years in our career and we've never asked for a raise And so what happens in that instance is you are leaving money on the table. You are leaving, well, we know that women are likely to retire with around half a million to a million dollars less than men simply because of the gender pay gap, right? And so if we want to level things up, as I say, until the systemic issues are figured out, we have to, we have to be the ones asking the question. And I can give you an example of someone in our community who went through the program the other day. She works for a very big bank. She's compensated very well. She earns more than $200,000, but she has never once negotiated her salary, never once. And she, as part of the program, she's been talking to recruiters and like looking around and thinking about what job next would set her heart on fire. And as part of that process, she's now interviewing at another bank and guess what figure they are offering her? It's almost double. So it's like almost double what she's earning. So this, this new salary, including the bonus is going to be more than $400,000. And so like she's probably underpaid at her current job because she's never once negotiated in her 12 year career. But also, you know, often when you, when you leapfrog to a new job and a new role, you would expect a bump as well. But so like, that's a lot of money, right? So this, we're talking like 230, $240,000 extra mm-hmm. that she's been offered by a new job. And that that's not going to happen for everyone. Right. But at the same time, if you're on a $60,000 salary and you're offered $64,000 somewhere else, like that's, that's something to think about. Right. And so I do think like you have to get comfortable negotiating as soon as possible because that way, you know, it's just going to mean that there's more money in your pocket. Right. And we have a lot of women that say, I don't need any more money. I live a great life. And I hear that. And I totally get that. And I would say to people though, you should still ask. And if you get more money, you can then decide what you do with that. You might want to renovate your house. You might want to put it in a savings account for your nephew. You might want to give it to your favorite charity. I don't care what you do with it, but the money is then yours to make that decision, right? So my attitude is like, you should take what what you are worth and what others will value you as well. And then it's your decision what you do with that extra money. And a big hello to the rain that's just arrived at my house. If you can hear the storm rolling <laughs> in the background. <laughs> so I think that the point that you made there about people feeling grateful or like they have enough, because I can certainly relate to, to that, you know, I have enough, I'm grateful for what I have, but this is why knowing 
you know, getting your facts and figures and getting the data to hand, well, how, how much else is somebody getting paid for this same or similar role in another organization or in the same organization, but they've just, they've been a little bit more forthright in asking for more. So get the information to hand, surround yourself with people that can, you know, share and take away some of that secrecy and just ask. Absolutely. Asking the question is so important, you know? And so we know that on average, depending on what country in the world you are, where you're listening, the gender pay gap is somewhere around sort of like 15 to 20%-ish, depending on the country, right? And there's three different reasons for that. And one of those reasons is unconscious bias and discrimination. And so I'm not saying that you're, if you are, if you do find out that you're un- underpaid, it's not necessarily because your boss is a bad person, it just, it just could mean that that's just the way that the numbers have landed, right? And so it is your responsibility to ask those questions and to have the data to hand, what is, your, what is your value in market? You will have the statistics from the people that you've talked to in your circle, your mentors, the other colleagues that are, that are comfortable discussing money with you as well. And that, that gives you an anchor to go back with, right? And that's a big part of the reason why we built the Pep Talker app was so that people could keep track of their wins like throughout the year, so that when you're going in saying, hey, I think I'm worth more in market, this is, this is what I would be expecting for my role and these are the reasons why, you didn't have a blank piece of paper. You could say, these are the reasons why. I did this number on sales in the first six months of the year. I increased our net promoter score by 5%. I've increased our web traffic by 10,000 clicks, you know, and I started the office intern program. Having those data points to hand is really valuable when you go to your boss because you've got to convince your boss and sometimes they need to convince people up the chain. So if you have data points that you can give them, that then helps them to be able to advocate on your behalf as well. So keeping track of those successes, if you organize an event, you can take a photo of it and upload that into the app. If you get a piece of great feedback in an email, you can screenshot that and upload that to the app as well. And then, you know, again, you can go into this meeting and say, Susie told me in March last year that I was invaluable to the team. Tom told me last month that finance, you know, couldn't have been so successful without my support on this project. Then all of a sudden, it's not just you asking for a raise, it's you backing it up with other people who've supported you and been grateful for your impact in the company as well. The app prompts you to, to take these steps as well, doesn't it? So it doesn't rely on you just sort of remembering to take that piece of feedback or take the photo at the event. How does it actually work? Yeah, so the app's free, so it doesn't cost you anything to use it. But yeah, you can download it and then it will send you prompts. So it'll be like, hey, like, what are you really proud of this week? Like, make a note of it in the app or anything you want to record in the app this week, any feedback you've had that you want to keep track of. So then you can keep track of all of that. You can press a button and it will export it and send it to you as a PDF. So you can print that off and take it into the meeting with you. So then you've got the data points to take in that'll, that'll help you advocate to your boss, you know? So it's, it's really powerful in that respect. And then, you know, beyond that, there's other things that you can do as well. Kind of like the, the asking for a discount on the grapes story. There's a bunch of other tangible tips that you can, and steps that you can take that'll take less than five minutes, but you can do them to start to strengthen that that muscle in your brain of knowing what your worth is. And so we have a free five-day challenge as well that people can do that will walk them through those steps. And so there's the exercises that you get sent, the five-minute challenge, and then you can you can track those successes in the app as well. So if anyone's feeling like they want some support to, to build up their level of confidence in terms of their, their value and knowing your worth, 
definitely encourage you to take part in that too. We've, we've worked in conjunction with some behavioral psychologists on this challenge, which is awesome. So yeah, you can just go to peptalkher.com slash challenge and then get involved in that as well, if that would help support your behavior change as well. Fantastic. And I'll link to that in the show notes as well. Now we're coming towards the end. I did have one big question that I wanted to ask you that I think a lot of people can probably relate. And I know it's something that you talk a lot about. So this all probably feels quite uncomfortable for some people asking for help, asking for what they want, knowing their worth, asking for a discount on grapes and just (laughs) feeling grateful with what they have. What role does imposter syndrome play in all of this? Mm. And how can people start to overcome and dislodge that imposter syndrome? Yeah, so for anyone who's listening who hasn't heard of imposter syndrome before, it's this concept where you feel like you don't belong or you feel like maybe you've just been lucky to get where you are or you feel like maybe at any point the job police might come along and knock on your office door and sort of drag you out by your feet. If you feel like this or have at some point felt like this, you are not alone. It's about 70% of the population who experience imposter syndrome. And so the most important thing when, and I can remember early in my career, when I was poached from one network to another, I felt so uncomfortable. I thought they'd made a mistake. I didn't understand why they'd hired me. And I, I clearly was not having a very good poker face. And my boss at the time, he sat me down and explained to me what imposter syndrome was. And he said to me, Maggie, I still experience imposter syndrome every day. And I'm the head of the network. He was in his fifties at the time. So it was so comforting for me to hear him say that because I realized that it wasn't just me. And so if anyone is listening to your great podcast and feels the same way, it's not just you. That's the first thing. So you can kind of breathe a sigh of relief like I did. And then the second thing is, you know, again, it comes back to like flexing that muscle. If I wanted massive biceps, I'd go to the gym every day with, with a big weight and I'd get huge biceps if I did that consistently. And it's the same thing with overcoming imposter syndrome. You have to take small steps every day that with time will help you overcome it, right? And certainly be able to move past it. And so one of the best things that you can do is track your successes so that every time your mind goes, so, oh, I'm just lucky. Oh, they obviously made a mistake with this promotion. I don't even know why I got it. Instead of having that thought, I want your thought to be, well, I did increase sales by 20% last month. That's pretty awesome. Of course, they gave me the promotion. You know, so we need to reframe your thinking from the, oh my goodness, why me? To well, this is the data, this is the statistic, and this is the fact. Like, I did achieve this, I did do this, and I did receive this praise. So the consequence of those positive things that I've been receiving and, and those positive accomplishments that I've had mean that it makes sense that I've been promoted. It makes sense that I've been given this opportunity. So it's about reframing it, which in theory kind of seems maybe a little easy, but I can tell you in practice, it's something that I still have to work on every day and tracking successes and achievements and positive things that happen is the best circuit breaker to do that. And so if you can, if you can focus on the achievements that you have, write them down in the pep talker app, refer back to them when you're having a moment of imposter syndrome, that will help jog your memory. And you can be like, Oh yeah, I did make that great hire. Or, oh yeah, I did do that cross-functional project with that other department. That was kind of great. And then it just flips your mindset to be focused on those positive things instead. So there's a, listen, we run a whole program on this. I could talk about this for hours too, but that's one of the easiest steps that you can take 
to move from that sense of imposter syndrome and more towards a success mindset. Yeah. Getting the facts down in black and white. I try to yeah. do that with, with my, with my business and I did it in my career as well. I tried to get the stuff down in black and white because you're evidencing it for others, but you're more importantly, you're evidencing it for yourself. And it's easy to forget all of the things that you're achieving every day and every week yeah, and every month. Totally. Because sometimes I don't know what I had for lunch yesterday, let alone what I did at work three months ago, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Mm. Okay. So we're almost at time. And when this episode goes out, we will be right on the eve of International Women's Day. And the theme this year is choosing to challenge. So it would be remiss mm. of me not to ask you, Maggie, what you will be doing for International Women's Day and what you are going to be choosing to challenge this year. Yeah. So we are super excited. We love celebrating women, particularly on International Women's Day. We do it all year round on the Pep Talker Instagram mm -hmm. account, but on International Women's Day, it just goes to a whole nother level. So I live in New York City, but I'm actually in Australia at the, mean, at the minute, avoiding COVID and the snow. And so we, for International Women's Day, we have a, a massive launch happening actually. So hopefully you'll all be seeing us uh, in a lot of press outlets. So say hi and send us a DM if you do, which is exciting. So we're launching our five-day Know Your Worth Challenge. And so your listeners can have a sneak peek. They'll be the first to get access to it at peptalkher.com slash challenge. So the Know Your Worth Challenge is launching for us for IWD. So that's very exciting. We are also in Australia. It is safe to have events. And so we'll, we will be holding a small salon series of very small lunches, which is exciting with some really interesting women to discuss some of the big issues that we want to challenge this year. And that is around what life looks like for working parents in the COVID era. What are the biggest challenges facing women in business right now and how we can, how we can help create policy change to, to influence that. So really exciting about some of the policy work that we're doing this year um, for International Women's Day. But yeah, a big happy International Women's Day to all of your listeners and what a year it's been for women this year with, with COVID and the impact that's had on the workforce. So we certainly have a lot of work to do to turn that around. So there's been a lot of damage done, unfortunately, but we are hopeful that there are some changes that can be made so that we can uh, rectify that as best as we can going forward. Fantastic. Well, good luck with the salon series. I will link to everything in the show notes and I will be choosing to challenge limiting my worth. So thank you so much for your time, Maggie. I really, really appreciate it. Oh, you are so welcome. And I would love to put out a challenge to all of your listeners to choose to challenge their concepts and their level of comfort around discussing money this year. So I, I would like you all, I would like to issue a challenge if you choose to accept it, to have a discussion with someone that you trust about your salary and about money this week and a framework that I like to use if anyone feels uncomfortable rather than saying, how much money do you earn? A little trick that I used, I like to use, which I think is helpful is to sort of say, hey, I'm in this role, I'm earning in the range of 50 to $56,000. Does that feel about right to you? So there's ways that you can sort of segue into that conversation without feeling too awkward, but also allowing other people to feel comfortable to discuss money with you as well. So talking in, in a range framework can be a really helpful way to sort of start that conversation. Incredible. Challenge accepted. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Keep me posted and let me know how you go. You can DM me on Instagram at Pep Talk Her and uh, I would love to hear how you go with the challenge. Wonderful. Thank you so much, Maggie.
The Rewriters is produced, written and presented by Monique Shaw, original artwork by Kiana Perry and original music by DJ Cinnamon.